Chapter 9 Christian Courage The Need of Holy Courage and Rules for Obtaining It The next grace that adds to the completion of our actual readiness for sufferings is Christian fortitude, or holy courage, which must say in your heart in a time of danger as Elijah once did, As the Lord of hosts lives, I will surely shew myself. 1 Kings 18, verse 15 This also is a prime part of your preparation work. Our apostle was distinguished in this grace. When he was told that bonds and affliction waited for him, he could say, None of these things move me. Acts 20, verse 24 When he was to appear before the lion, Nero, and not a man acknowledged or stood by him, he stood his ground and resolved to die in that place rather than to dishonorably recede from his principles and profession. 2 Timothy 4, verses 16-17 He set the world, with all its threats and terrors, lower than it set him. How conspicuous was this grace of courage in all those heroes who have passed on before us! If you ever hope to stand in the evil day and be fetched off the field with honor, you must rouse up and awaken your courage for God. Its necessity will appear in the following four considerations. 1. Courage is necessary because the success and prevalence of Satan's temptations in the hour of persecution depend on the fainting and overthrow of this grace. For this reason, he raises persecutions in the world because such terrible things are shaped to work on the passions of carnal fear, which rises with those dangers and makes the soul like a tumultuous sea. This is what he aims at, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 13. This is a multiplying passion that represents dangers more and greater than they are, and so drives the soul into the very net and snare laid by the devil to take it. The fear of man bringeth a snare, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. This was sadly exemplified in Abraham and many other of the saints, Genesis chapter 12, verse 12. If Satan can just subdue this grace, he will quickly bring you to surrender for life and liberty on the basest and most dishonorable terms. Therefore, the preparation of this grace is so exceedingly necessary. 2. Holy courage is necessary because this is the grace that abundantly honors Jesus Christ when you are brought on the stage for him. There is a great solemnity at the suffering and trial of a saint. Heaven, earth, and hell are spectators. They observe the issue and watch how the saints will acquit themselves in that hour. We are made a spectacle, says the Apostle, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 9. The Greek words he uses mean it is as we are set on a theater in public view. God, angels, and saints wait to see the glorious triumph of our faith and courage, reflecting honor on the name and cause of Christ. Devils and wicked men stare, hoping for an advantage by our cowardice. Certainly now much lies in the hands of Christians. If we faint and give ground, it will furnish the triumphs of hell and make Christ's enemies boast over him as if his love ran so low in the hearts of his people that they dare not venture anything for him, or, despite their brave words and glorious profession, they dare not trust their own principles when it comes to the trial. But if we now play the men and discover a holy gallantry of spirit and resolution for Christ, 
how it will daunt the enemies and make them say as Marcus, bishop of Arethusa, made one of Julian's nobles who was present at his torments say concerning him, We are ashamed, O emperor. The Christians laugh at thy cruelty. And how God himself will rejoice and glory over them as he once did over Job when he fetched him with honor off that first field. Still he holdeth fast his integrity. Job chapter 2 verse 3. 3. Your own peace is wrapped up in it as well as God's glory. Do you think that it is nothing to be freed from those vultures and harpies that feed on the hearts of men at such times? Certainly, God regards it a very great mercy to his people when he promises it. Proverbs chapter 1, Psalm 112 verse 7. When Borromeo was told that some lay in wait to take his life, it did not trouble him, but instead he said, What? Is God in the world for nothing? Silentiarius gave a similar answer in a similar situation. If God does not take care for me, how do I live? This is what brings you to a holy quietude of spirit in times of confusion and distraction, which is a choice mercy. 4. Our magnanimity is of special use to other saints who are following us in the same path of suffering. If you faint, it is like the fainting of a standard-bearer in an army. You bring an evil report on the cross of Christ, as the first spies did on the land of Canaan. It is likely to have a similar influence on your brothers. Before you can say with Paul that you are ready, it is necessary to improve this grace of holy courage. But what is this Christian fortitude, and from where does it come? My brief answer is that it is a holy boldness in the performance of difficult duties, flowing from faith in the call of God and His promise to us in the discharge of them. I will give the nature of it in these four points. 1. It is a holy boldness, not a natural or sinful boldness that arises from the natural constitution or the evil disposition of the mind. 2. It is expressed about duties for truth, not error. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 3. It is for the interest of Christ, not of the flesh. 3. It appears in the season when duties are surrounded and plagued with difficulties and dangers. Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, chapter 6, verse 10. 4. It flows from the fountain of faith as it respects the command and call of God to duty. Acts chapter 16, verse 10. And his promise to us in the discharge of that duty. Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. And this grace stands opposed both to the fear of man in the cause of God, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, and to apostasy from the truth for fear of suffering. This, briefly, is the nature of fortitude. I will finish this chapter by laying down some rules for the promoting and improvement of this fortitude. There are ten rules that should be mindfully observed for the breeding of holy courage in the hearts of saints in evil times. Rule 1. The first rule is to wean your heart from all earthly pleasures. If your heart is inordinately fixed on any one of your worldly possessions, that inordinate estimation of and affection for it will make your spirit strangely weak, soft, and cowardly when your trial comes. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. You will not be a man of courage for God unless your heart is dead to earthly things. It was that way with Paul. Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. 
Since the apostles, we have rarely met with a greater example of magnanimity than Luther, and if you read his story, you will find few men ever set a lower value on the world than he. In his eye, all the Turkish empire was just a crumb cast to the dogs. This beast is German. He does not care for money. Money could not tempt him. Rule 2. Do not allow guilt to lie on your conscience. It is a fountain of fears, and you can never attain boldness for God until it is removed. Romans chapter 5, verses 1-3. through three. The spirit of a sound mind is opposed to the spirit of fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. That sound mind is a mind or spirit that is not wounded, made sick and feeble by guilt. Oh, what black fogs and mists arise out of guilt! They cloud our evidence and fill us with fear and discouragement. Genesis chapter 42, verses 21 through 22. Rule 3. Make sure of your call to difficult services, and be very satisfied that you are in the way and posture God expects to find you in. What courage this will give! Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Then you may promise yourself God's presence and protection. 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2. But if you are uncertain here and cannot tell whether or not it is your duty that you are engaging in, how can you have the courage to risk anything for it? You may think you may suffer much for men, but have no thanks of God for it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. And until you are clear in this, you cannot commit your cause to God. It is a sad thing to be cut off from such an excellent relief as this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Rule 4. Get right notions and conceptions of your enemies. We are apt to magnify the creature and think he can do more than he can. In so doing, we disable ourselves from doing what we should. Inform and control your souls with the belief of these five things concerning creatures. They are poor, weak enemies. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15, 17, and 22. They are like a swarm of gnats in the air. See how God describes them in Isaiah chapter 51, verses 12 through 14. The little power they have is limited by your God who sets the limits and timing of it. John chapter 19, verse 11, Psalm 74, verse 10. They carry guilt on them, which makes them more timid than you. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. Their fear is an unnecessary fear. They only use physical weapons against you that cannot touch your souls. If they were praying enemies that could engage God against you, they would be formidable enemies indeed, but this they cannot do. The largest commission that any of them ever had from God extended only to the bodies and bodily concerns of the saints. Luke chapter 12, verses 4-5 through They cannot thunder with an arm like God, blot your name out of the book of life, or take your portion out of the new Jerusalem. Therefore, do not fear man. Your enemies are God's enemies, and God has embraced your cause and quarrel. The crueler they are, the kinder he will be to you. John chapter 9, verses 34 through 38. Rule 5. Labor to engage the presence of God with you in all places and conditions. While you enjoy this, your spirits will be invincible and undaunted. 
Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, Psalm 118 verse 6. A weak creature who is assisted and encouraged by the presence of a great God will be able to do and suffer great things. Feeble flesh in the hand of an almighty spirit acts above itself. If his master comes by and animates him, a little dog will seize on a greater beast than himself, though he would run from him if his master were absent. Our courage ebbs and flows as the manifestations of the divine presence do. Just get yourself once within the line of that promise. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Isaiah chapter 43 verses 1 through 2, and you will be invincible. Rule 6. Get a high estimation of Jesus Christ and all his concerns. Those who value him highest will adventure for him farthest. Magnanimous Luther set an inestimable value on the truths of Christ. He said, Let heaven rush rather than a crumb of truth should perish. You will never be people of zeal and courage for Christ's interest until that interest of Christ has swallowed up all your own interests. No sooner is the soul acquainted with and interested in Christ than he heartily says goodbye to all his affairs and concerns. This is what puts metal and resolution for Christ into the soul. Rule 7. Beware you are not cheated with maxims of worldly policy mistaken for Christian prudence. Many are mistaken for the other, and they prove destructive to all true zeal and courage for Christ. Never was religion professed with greater plainness and simplicity than by the early Christians, and never was there a higher tide of courage and zeal for God than in those days. We are apt to call it extravagant, and we think we have grown wiser and better manage our lives and comforts than they did. But our discretion and management have even swallowed up our religion. It is true there is such a thing as Christian prudence, but it does not teach us to shun all costly and difficult duties and prostitute our conscience to save our skin. A man of understanding walketh uprightly. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 21. Rule 8. Look on the inside of troubles for Christ as well as on the outside of them. If you view them with a physical eye, there appears nothing but matters of discouragement. To look on the outside of prison, banishment, or death is frightening and horrible. But if you look into the inside of these things by faith, you will see what God has made them to His people and how joyful and comfortable they have been in these conditions. What honey they have found in the carcass of a lion, what songs in the stocks and dungeons, what glorying in tribulation and a hundredfold reward even in their sufferings. What looked like a serpent at a distance will appear as just a rod in the hand. How many have found themselves quite mistaken in their apprehensions of suffering and been more reluctant to come out of a prison than they were to go in. If you could see the supports and comforts that souls ordinarily meet with in their troubles for Christ, you would not look on them as such formidable things. Rule 9. View the issue and reward of sufferings with an eye of faith, for this will strongly abate the horror and dread of them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34. This was how the saints have so slighted and scorned them. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. You should view and act as if your faith is certain. Look at it as a most real and substantial thing. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. View it as a great and glorious reward, and see it as near at hand. Then say to your soul, Come on, my soul, come on. Look at the joy set before you. The crown of glory is ready to be set on your head by the hand of a righteous God. Oh, what comparison is there between those sufferings and that glory? Rule 10. Present to yourselves the best patterns and examples. Keep your eye on the cloud of witnesses, because these are of special use to create holy courage. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, James chapter 5, verse 10. Who would be afraid to accept the challenge and grapple with that enemy that he has seen so often foiled by a poor, weak Christian? Look how the enemy with whom you are to grapple has been beaten hand to hand and triumphed over by poor women and children. Those who have gone before you had as great infirmities as you do, and you have as gracious assistances as they did.